2: From WABE in Atlanta, I'm Lois Reitzis, and this is City Lights. Today, we'll check in on the Atlanta Symphony. Their new series of fall concerts is being performed on the ASO virtual stage. Downtown Dialogues is a new series of virtual plays from Theatrical Outfit, followed by Lively Conversations. We'll hear from moderator Gail O'Neill and Matt Torney, the new Artistic Director of Theatrical Outfit. First... You're listening to 90.1 WABE, and you may be asking yourself, Why does WABE sound different? What's going on today? We're in the midst of our fall member drive. We're public radio and we rely on you for funding. With your donation, we pay for the programming you hear on WABE. Your support is critical because 84% of our funding comes from this community please do your part and donate at wabe.org or call 678-553-9090. I'm Lois Reitzis, joined this hour by City Lights producer, Summer Evans. Hi, Lois. Hello.
3: For everyone who's listening, now's the time to give. If you make a donation in this hour and this hour only, you'll automatically receive a $25 gift card to Cafe Intermezzo at any of the restaurants around the area, including Midtown and the Avalon and Alpharetta. Cafe Intermezzo is taking safety and health precautions during the pandemic, including tables with six feet of separation. This $25 gift card is yours with a donation of any amount at wabe.org donate, or with a call to 678-553-9090.
4: Trying new things can be scary, like finally signing up for that improv class or putting spinach in your smoothie. Come on, you can do it. Well, you don't have to slurp liquid vegetables to try something new. Whether you just got into public radio or you've been with us for years, listening to this station as a member is a whole new kind of listening. So don't be afraid.
2: Here's how to donate. wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. Listening as a member is a different kind of listening. I don't know about spinach in your smoothie, but a monthly donation to WABE will make you feel connected, not only to WABE, but to Atlanta and through City Lights to the greater Atlanta arts and cultural community. The amount you give, that's up to you. Most of our listeners give about $15 a month, but the choice is yours. We just ask that you make your gift now because you're listening now. How many member drives have come before this one where you've thought, oh, I really should give to WABE? Well, now is that time. Please just do it at wabe.org slash donate. Thank you.
3: One reason you're listening to WABE is that it fits into your busy lifestyle. That's why we make contributing easy. We know that you want to support WABE, but you don't have the time. Contributing to a monthly sustaining membership will take just a couple minutes, and you'll never have to worry about it again. We've made it even easier with our online donation page. Please take a moment now to give to wabe.org donate, or you can call 678-553-9090.
1: When you give to WABE at $10 a month, we'd like to thank you with our brand new Forever I Love Atlanta 14-ounce mug, designed by Atlanta artist India Nabarra. We
5: wanted to make something fun while staying authentic to our city, of course, so I made sure to include stuff like late-night waffles, street art, and nature.
1: To receive the new Forever I Love Atlanta mug, please make your first donation this fall at $10 a month or give a single gift of $120. Online at wabe.org donate or call 678-553-9090. Thank you.
2: Where would public radio be without mugs? Well, I can't stress this enough. Now is the time to donate to WABE. Please don't wait. You're thinking about it now, so donate now. 84% of our funding comes from the Atlantic community, which means we rely on you. It only takes a couple of minutes to make your donation, and in this hour, your donation gets you a $25 gift card to Cafe Intermezzo. Go to wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thank you. Reimagine is a word we've heard often in 2020. An active imagination is common among all creative people. So we've seen actors, dancers, comedians, and musicians adapt to virtual performance with ingenuity. The Atlanta Symphony Orchestra now has a virtual stage with many offerings to keep musicians and music lovers connected. Jennifer Barlement is the executive director of the ASO. She is with us now via Zoom. Jennifer, welcome back to City Lights.
5: Hi, Lois, it is always such a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for inviting me.
2: Well, yes, and when we last spoke in August, you had just announced that there would be a virtual stage and a new fall season of concerts. Would you give us an update
5: Oh, sure, absolutely. The joke is that uh, every day is a year, every week is a year, or something. So, August seems like a really long time ago now, Lois. years and years
2: years ago, indeed.
5: (laughs) Jog years for sure. So, um, a lot has happened since then. And, you know, whether you call it reimagining or pivoting as we try some things and then, you know, learn more and refine and continue working, uh, we've We've certainly learned a lot in the past few months. And so we have been releasing concerts now. We released our first classical series concert on October 1st. And our next one is coming out on October 15th. And we're really excited about the work that the team has done. The, the audio quality is fantastic. The video quality is just getting better and better. The you know level of detail that you can see um, and then also the um, the extra bonus content, the interviews with our musicians and the soloists is just getting um, getting better and better. So it's it's really exciting. A lot of great progress. How do people gain
2: access to view and listen?
5: For anyone who had subscribed previously, you should have already received a code for um, accessing all of our virtual stage concerts. And if you would like to purchase access, you can do so through what we call membership program. So they can go to aso.org and sign up. You can either get a three concert membership or a six concert membership. And it's incredibly easy. You just go onto our account manager, set up a password, and click on the link on the night of the concert. And it's as easy as you know, watching it in the comfort of your own home. You can even watch it on your TV if you get it all set up. Um, and we have a tech crew that's ready to help. If you have any trouble, people can call us, and we'll, we'll help you make sure it's a great experience.
2: And how long do the concerts stay available?
5: For members, they're available for 72 hours after the initial release of the concert. So on October 15th, our second concert comes out, and uh, so people can watch within 72 hours. If they have a membership or if they're a subscriber, they can watch any time in the two weeks after October 15th. Now,
2: there is no audience in Symphony Hall, but the musicians are back on stage performing in person. What feedback have you heard from the ASO musicians?
5: Well, absolutely, especially after our first couple of sort of trial weeks of having the orchestra back on stage. The musicians are so grateful to have the opportunity to play together again, to play in the hall with that wonderful acoustic. It's much better than what they were experiencing in their home practice rooms, and also the opportunity to be together and, and, and play together. There's a real addictive, exciting quality to having um, the ability to make music with other people. And I know they all missed it very much. In addition, they've really missed our audiences and continue to miss um, having the chance to play live in front of people because that is you know clearly what motivates them is is to provide joy and inspiration to to other people. But they're they're still getting a lot out of it knowing that the music is hitting home just in a little bit of a different way. So yeah, tremendous gratitude and just great excitement from our musicians to be able to make music.
2: And have you heard from virtual concert goers already?
5: Yeah. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of really great feedback from our audience members. Uh, we've had a few small outdoor gatherings, and feedback from those has been, you know, equally wonderful. That people have really missed it, and then people who've sent emails or texts or other feedback about the um, virtual virtual stage concerts. Uh, it's been all just incredibly positive.
2: You mentioned the outdoor performances. There is a category on the virtual stage for chamber music. Many of the ASO musicians perform in smaller ensembles. Can you give us some examples of the varied content available on the virtual stage?
5: Absolutely. If you go to, um, again, to our website, ASO.org, and click on the virtual stage link, you'll see a whole plethora of different options for ways to listen, learn, and engage with the orchestra and with our musicians. So you can either watch virtual stage concerts. We have some older concerts that we had in the archives that we put up there, including some that were recorded a long time ago. We've got a couple of concerts with Robert Shaw, and those are a nice uh, trip down memory lane. We have radio broadcasts from our work with uh, you, Lois, and WABE. So grateful to have that wonderful archive of performances to put up on the virtual stage so people can listen. And There's also a whole plethora of, as you said, chamber music concerts uh, with our musicians, interviews, get to know musicians, vignettes. And uh, in addition, we've got some great resources for young people as well, both instructional videos with ASO musicians and other sort of close family members, and also uh, entertaining opportunities for young people to enjoy music.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. International guest soloists are performing with the orchestra. It seems daring for them to travel. Have they shared some stories from the road?
5: Yes, it's been really interesting. Travel's very different now than it has been in the past. But for the most part, you know, for the people who are able to travel here to Atlanta to work with the orchestra, it's been Pretty smooth. Probably the person who's coming from the farthest distance so far this season is uh, Donald Runnickels, our principal guest conductor, who was just knighted. He's now officially Sir Donald Runnickels.
2: Oh, I um, cannot wait to call him that.
5: Cannot wait. (laughs) He will. He'll enjoy that hearing that from you, Lois. Um, so he's traveled to and from the United States, probably more than anybody else I've spoken with lately. And, you know, it talks about the testing regimens and mask wearing and all of the other things that is just a part of necessary life these days to be able to do what we do safely. But it's, uh, it's worked so far. And we're really, we're really grateful for that. For those of you who had, for people who had signed up for our full series previously, you'll notice that there's a big difference between what had previously been planned and what's planned now. And in fact, we're having to make tweaks and changes as we go along, just because the conditions change, borders are or aren't open. And so we continue to be flexible as we learn more as we go along. Indeed.
2: Now, you're calling the virtual stage phase one of the fall season. Correct. Have you planned anything beyond phase one?
5: We are. We're actually in the process right now of rethinking both our December programming and also the spring programming based on our best information at this point of what is going to be possible And, you know, no concrete announcements yet, but I think the spring will will look a lot, December and the spring will look a lot like what we're doing now. Similar orchestra members and some guest artists playing in orchestra in Symphony Hall. And as we can make them happen, we'll add back in audiences and um, some outdoor performances as conditions permit.
2: Jennifer Barlamet, Executive Director of the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. The next performance on their virtual stage will be October 22nd with principal cellist Rainer Eudekis as soloist in a concerto by Haydn. More information about the ASO offerings is on our website You are listening to member supported 90.1 WABE. This is our fall membership drive, which really is a celebration of the unique and powerful relationship we have with you. You rely on us for quality information and outstanding arts and cultural coverage. We rely on you because 84% of our funding comes from the Atlanta community. Think of it this way. We would not ask for your money if we didn't need it. We use your donation to produce this excellent programming. Please give now at wabe.org or call 678-553-9090. I'm Lois Wrights joined this hour by City Lights producer Summer
3: Evans. Hi Lois, and we have a special incentive for you this hour and this hour only. A donation in any amount during City Lights today gets you a $25 gift card to Cafe Intermezzo at any of their restaurants around the area, including Dunwoody and Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. That $25 gift card to Cafe Intermezzo is yours with a gift of any amount of your choosing at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090.
1: Hey, it's Nick Fountain from NPR's Planet Money. We hit the streets of New York to get some fundraising tips from folks who know a lot about raising money. Those canvassers who bug you on the street. Oh, this Planet Money, bro? What is your name? Connor. Great. Since you're a planet money fan, how, what are the top tips on fundraising? Top tips? You're not you're not here to convince anybody of anything,
5: persuade anybody anything. You're here to remind them that they're a good person and give them a chance to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> Funk Flex Hot 97. This is Hot 97, right? <laughs>
1: I know you don't need to hear this, but you, dear public radio listener, are a good person. And you can prove it right now by giving to this NPR station. Here's how.
2: We are here to remind you that you are a good person. So please make your first ever donation to 19.1 online at wabe.org donate. The amount... That's the best part, it's your decision. How about $15 a month, which is our average listener donation? Or if you're in a position to give more, please consider becoming a Cornerstone member at $100 a month. You'll get special access to certain events and offer, to special events and offerings at the Cornerstone level. Whatever amount is right for you, please donate right now by calling 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate.
3: Sometimes you owe somebody a phone call and you keep putting it off until you're just too embarrassed to pick up the phone. It's happened to all of us, don't worry. If you're not a member yet, don't worry about that either. Because calling WABE is not one of those awkward phone calls. Or even if you can't remember the last time you contributed money, no problem. Just give us a call now. You'll be caught up in minutes. Support from our listeners is the largest share of funding from WABE. It's actually 84% of our funding. You make WABE possible. So please give us generously as you can by calling 678 553 Ninety ninety, Or you can contribute online at wabe.org donate. And thank you if you've already given.
1: With a new sustaining gift of $10 a month, we'd like to send you a thank you gift. It's the WABE Dry Fit Baseball Cap. This adjustable hat is frost gray and features the WABE logo embroidered on the front with our slogan, Where ATL Meets NPR on the back. The WABE baseball cap is yours with a monthly gift of $10 or with a single gift of $120. Please make your first ever donation this fall at wabe.org or call 678-553-9090. Thank you.
2: The best part of donating right now? Well, you'll feel good that you support WABE's excellent programming, that you fund shows such as City Lights. And in this hour only, your donation gets you a $25 gift card to Cafe Intermezzo. Please donate at wabe.org. It only takes a few minutes and thanks very much. Theatrical Outfit strives to start the conversations that matter with the works they present on stage. Their current series is on the visual stage. It's called Downtown Dialogues. Matt Torney is the Artistic Director of Theatrical Outfit. He joins us now with Atlanta writer and arts ATL journalist Gail O'Neill. Welcome to City Light hello thank you lois thank you for having us yes and matt first congratulations on being at the helm of theatrical outfit following the many achievements of tom key this is our first city lights conversation
6: Yes, yes, and it's, it's wonderful to be here and uh, to start to try and fill the enormous shoes <laughs> left behind.
2: Would you tell us about the format of the Downtown Dialogues?
6: Yeah, well, like uh, many theatres around the country, when, when you're not able to perform live theatre, you need to really look at how you can move things online. Um, and And we were thinking very, very, very specifically about our mission to start the conversations that matter. Um, And uh, we all got together as a staff and uh, we just started going around the room saying, what matters now in 2020? Um, What what stories do we need to be exploring? What, What do we need to be kind of sharing with our audiences? And we came up with a number of themes and a number of ideas for plays that we thought spoke directly to the present moment. Um, but the hardest thing about online programming is you're not there with your audience. conversation around it is difficult and needs to look different. So we had this idea of uh, reaching out to Gail to see if she would curate these uh, this series of conversations for us. And then that evolved into this 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 larger idea of pairing. Um, a, a streamed play reading with a live interview podcast um, in which the, the artists would explore the play and tell the story and then Gail and just wonderful panellists would dig in to the deeper questions and the meat at the heart of the play uh, in a more considered way. So that was the, the birth of the series.
2: Oh, fantastic, Gail. Having the pleasure of knowing you and your work for several years now, I vividly recall your once explaining that you are not a critic, but rather like to think of yourself as, quote, a conversation starter. So how ideally suited you are for this role in downtown dialogues with theatrical outfit.
4: Lois, I'm so flattered that you would remember me saying that. That sounds exactly like me. And as I said to Matt and to Susan Booth, who participated in our very first uh, downtown dialogue, my secret fantasy has always been to be a casting director. And this is the closest I have ever come. You know that parlor game where you're asked if you could have dinner with four people, living or dead, who would they be? I am. I'm as close to that as I can, I can't choose any dead people for this, but to be able to, to read a script and determine who would be the four perfect people to break down this play, to break down the psychology, to talk about human emotion, human motivation, um, and just to have fun, not only you know, on an intellectual level, but on a spiritual, and then I, I've also said on your show, I'm very nosy, digging into human psyche, who would those four people be? And that's what I get to do. It's been a dream assignment.
2: The next reading will be of Jonathan Spector's play Eureka. Hmm, the central subject of the play is strikingly relevant now. <laughs> Mandatory vaccinations for children. Would you briefly describe the plot?
6: Sure. So uh, Eureka Day, um, it, it premiered in, in the Bay Area and has had productions around the country, but hadn't yet made it to Atlanta. So um, this seemed, in terms of the, the the content of the play and this question of, of, of vaccination, it seemed like a good time <laughs> to, to, to explore that. Um, so uh, the first thing to, to, to say about the play is that it is a satire. It is very, very, very funny. Um, it's set at a charter school. Uh, in Berkeley, and uh, it all takes place in the uh, governing council of uh, parent directors and their meetings as they try and figure out how this very, very, very liberal school is going to handle uh, mandatory vaccinations after a mumps outbreak. Um, And it turns out that nobody agrees on what's true and what's not true, what's science and what isn't science, and um, one of the things particularly interesting is that these are very liberal people who are having these disagreements and are falling over themselves to disagree well. <laughs> so uh, we're describing it as a, an achingly hilarious comedy of manners.
2: Oh, my goodness.
6: Uh, <laughs> and, we, and we've and we got just an absolutely extraordinary director, uh, January Lavoie, who's a, a, a professor of acting at Emory and... Um, our conversations about the play have just been wonderful. So, if you haven't got your tickets yet, October twenty second, um, everything is, is sold out so far, and we expect this one too as well. So, if you hear this in time, and <laughs> go online and 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 join in
4: and then if you join in it's not just my dream to be in conversation with the director the playwright we have a vaccine special a vaccine specialist dr saad omar who is the director the inaugural director of yale's institute institute for global health and hank kimmel who is an atlanta based playwright and mediator but we want our audience listening in to participate so you send us your comments put in your questions, you know, get involved. We want this to be a a dialogue across all, across all media, not just me with four people, but all of Atlanta, all of the listening audience to get involved.
2: Mm. I'm still back on January Lavoie. (laughs) Having seen her in Native Guard as Natasha Trethewey, I was just blown away by her her artistry.
6: Yes, I mean... She's also going to be uh, co-directing and performing in our production of Fires in the Mirror uh, later this season. Um, so she's been so she's been one of the the most sort of significant artistic relationships I've formed since since moving to Atlanta. And it's just one of those kismet things um, we were we were connected by a mutual friend and it just felt so right. And we've had wonderful conversations, uh, obviously about the projects, but also about, um, about the theater and about some, some of these conversations that we're having about, uh, racial equity and diversity. And, um, so she's just been an extraordinary colleague as well as being an excellent artist. And, um, I think she has the perfect sensibility for this reading. <laughs> the, the smart, the funny, the sharp, um, Um, I'm excited for it.
2: Gail, I'm still intrigued by this um, secret desire of yours to be a casting director. Did you select all of the guests on each panel for the Downtown Dialogues?
4: The one recommendation Matt made when I had a a panelist in mind for the play Stew, which is the story of four generations of African-American women their secrets, they're reconciling those secrets, they're making connections with one another multi-generationally. Um, he said, you know, I would love to have Mashama Bailey. Mashama is the chef co-founder of the Grey restaurant in uh, Savannah, Georgia. She's all, She was also one of the uh, featured guests on the Netflix series, uh, Chef's Table. And ironically, that very same night that Matt made that suggestion, what do you think Netflix told me I should watch that evening? So I know I'm being monitored, A eh? Anyway, I watched the episode. I was completely captivated by her intelligence, by her heart, by her desire to keep the connection between what her ancestors have taught her and what she wants to pass down through food. She was the obvious best choice. So the answer is yes, Matt gave me free reign. And the one person he said, well, I'd really like to have mashama. He, would, he hit the nail on the head. I could not have done it better. And she said, yes.
2: Oh, that is wonderful. Now, even though the series is in progress, are the earlier Downtown Dialogues available for viewing if listeners want to access your website?
6: So um, the readings um, are not available as uh, because of the agreement that we have with the union uh-huh. Um, they are streamed live, so we we set up we set up quite a complicated uh, system, all coming to one computer manned by our amazing production manager. Um, so those are streamed live, but the the conversation afterwards um, is uh, we've released it as a podcast, um, so you can get that on our website. It's also on Spotify, um, I think it's on Stitcher, uh, and we released the video version on YouTube as well. So, yeah, we want to get those conversations out there and um, keep people talking.
2: Is it possible for those who have missed the uh, first plays to read the script?
6: So what we've been doing is uh, I've been doing a little intro um, to the podcast version where I give a little recap of the story. And then we also do a more detailed synopsis uh, underneath. Um, we're just being very, very, very sensitive to, um, the, uh, writers, like intellectual property rights <laughs> mm-hmm. and publishing rights and, and, and things like that, but we make sure people are able to kind of follow the story and have the information they need, um, to join the conversation. And also what's been wonderful about the two conversations that, uh, Gail has hosted so far has been that the play is the starting point for a broader conversation about the themes and also where we are. Um, last week, we had this amazing play, uh, Flex, um, by Candris Jones, which was about uh, a high school basketball team in rural Arkansas. And all the characters are young African-American women. And it's about, like the WNBA has just arrived on the scene. So these young female athletes have the chance to go pro. Um, so it's a real story about adolescence and an an untraditional story for Southern African American women, and the guests that Gail had for that conversation uh, were just were just amazing. Uh, Gail, you want to give us a quick recap? Uh, I
4: would love to, uh, Lois. We had your colleague Rose Scott, who used to host a Drive Time sports radio talk program on the radio, you know, before she came to WABE. We had the director, Tinashe Kajise Bolden, who is a triple threat. She's an actress. She's a director. She writes, she probably sings, dances, and translates Proust in her spare time. We had Keisha Brown, who is a veteran of the WNBA, the high school basketball coach and athletic director at the Galloway School, and a color commentator for ESPN. So, I mean, again, Lois, you know, when you when you get to assemble your dream team, how could it get any better than this? I know I knew nothing about basketball going in. I came out learning a lot, not only about the game, but about young women, about young women who are highly competitive, about young women who can't see an out from their circumstances, except for this one dream, the dream of being recruited by a college basketball team. Uh, it, it was really eye-opening. I thought JB Carroll, our, our local NBA superstar here in Atlanta, would have been a perfect um, panelist. However, he is male, but he's from rural Arkansas. So the ah. synapses in my brain were just working overtime when I assembled my guest list for all of these plays.
6: And, and just to say that the uh, podcast recording of
2: that conversation is now live on Spotify. Fantastic. In addition to the dialogues, the rest of the outfit season includes the launch of Made in Atlanta. What can you tell us about that, Matt?
6: Oh, I I am really, really, really excited about this, Lois. So my personal philosophy um, as the leader of the theatre is that theatre and place need to be deeply connected with one another. Um, and that the best way to do that is to tell stories about that place and by artists who, who live in and are connected to that place. So um, we decided to start a new work program to develop work about Atlanta and made in the heart of downtown Atlanta, <laughs> which is where we got the name from. So the program basically has like sort of three levels. We We're commissioning stories that have never been told before about Atlanta, Um, we're doing workshops to develop existing plays that just need some, some support and some structured time to get them ready for world premiere productions. And then we also are hosting uh, readings of plays that have never been heard before, so they can kind of encounter an audience and get some feedback. So our dream is that we'll be able to nurture plays from birth to main stage production, and that these plays and stories will, will just help us engage more deeply with the atlanta community um so it's it's very exciting because we don't have to wait <laughs> for plays to be written elsewhere and then filtered on to to us through the american theater system we can start dreaming it up ourselves and then we've got this amazing laboratory to to bring it to life um and the first um project that we've announced is a workshop of a play called we the village by dana stringer um that is is a play that we had as part of our unexpected play festival earlier in the year and it's about an unexpected friendship between a young man and a drag queen and it looks at this idea of family um and what happens if if you get to choose your own family or or the types of the type of community that we build as we go through life um and uh, how unexpected that that can be. So we are developing that play later in October and uh, we've got high hopes. So that'll be popping up as a world premiere production in one of our future seasons.
4: Lois, may I add something here? Matt very humbly started by saying he hopes he could fill the enormous shoes of Tom Key. But in fact, I see them both as spirit animals. And I think Tom recognizes this too. Four years ago, I interviewed, I interviewed Tom for Arts ATL. He was part of our Legacy Series. And he said to me that Atlanta is the kind of city where you grow the prize-winning tomatoes for the State Fair. And New York is the kind of place where you premiere those works when they are finished. So the fact that Matt is seeking talent here in Atlanta, filling his own pipeline with local talent, encouraging local artists, that this is the place where we can grow that prize-winning tomato and showcase it, and be proud and celebrate with you, tells me that he is perfectly aligned with everything that Tom Key stands for as an artist and just as a generous, generative human
5: being.
2: I congratulate you on these various exciting initiatives and on all you are doing, Matt, to Bring Vitality to theater in Atlanta. Gail O'Neill, Vitality is your birth name, I understand.
4: <laughs> vitality? Some people would call it hyper, but yes, I suppose. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm very, very excited about this project, and you know how much I love artists. So yeah.
2: <laughs> Well, back at you. And thank you both so very much for... A delightful conversation.
4: Thank you for having us, us, Lois. This
6: has been wonderful. Thank you.
2: Matt Torney is the new Artistic Director of Theatrical Outfit. Gail O'Neill is an Atlanta arts journalist, writer, and panel host. The next event in the Downtown Dialogue series will be tomorrow, More information will appear on our website at wabe.org slash City Lights. We're taking a quick break to ask for your financial support at wabe.org donate. We have member drives a few times a year because it makes our fundraising more efficient. It's more respectful of your time and and allows us to get back to regular programming faster. Plus, it's a great way to hear feedback from listeners like you. That's why we need your donation right now if you haven't yet given. Please donate at wabe.org slash donate, and let us know how we're doing as you complete your form. It only takes a few minutes. That's WEBE.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. I'm Lois Reitzes, joined this hour by City Lights producer Summer Evans with a special offer from a special place that debuted the same time that is in November of 1979, when I did a WABE.
3: Well, to Atlanta staples. This is <laughs> perfect for this hour. Hi, Lois. We have a great offer, just like you mentioned, for our listeners right now. And it's only available during this hour. If you make a donation in the final remaining moments of City Lights today, you'll get a $25 gift card to Cafe Intermezzo for use at any of their restaurants around the area, including Midtown, Dunwoody, or the Avalon and Alpharetta. Cafe Intermezzo is taking safety and health precautions seriously during the pandemic, including tables with six feet of separation. This $25 gift card is yours with a donation of your choosing. You just gotta go to wabe.org slash donate or by calling
0: 678-553-9090. I'm Jen White, the host of 1A. A few months ago, I left a city I love and moved to DC. But even in this new place in such a strange time, I feel somewhat at home because whenever I listen to my NPR station, I feel connected. If this
2: NPR station makes you feel at home too, become a new member now. Here's how. This is wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. You hear Jen White every morning on 1A. She's a very engaging host. We hope WABE helps you feel connected to the community Becoming a monthly sustaining member of WABE is an investment that helps ensure that connection. Most WABE listeners give about $15 a month. You know what you can afford right now. Please give accordingly at WABE.org slash donate and thank you.
3: You've been listening for some time now, and you've heard our fundraisers and thought, yeah, I really should donate to WABE. Well, now is the time to do it. Consider becoming a sustaining member now at $15 a month. It just takes a couple minutes to contribute at WABE.org or by calling 678-553-9090. When you support WABE with a monthly sustaining gift of $10 a month, we'll say thank you with two pairs of WABE socks. Choose from two designs, the red, black, and white microphone socks, or I love WABE socks. Keep your feet warm while standing in support of WABE. Please make your first ever donation this fall at $10 a month or with a single gift of $120 at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thank you.
2: Ah, WABE sucks. We'd like to thank everyone who's helped make this hour such a success. We cannot do it without your financial support. Now, we need to hear from you who have not yet donated. It only takes a few minutes. Please do it right now and you'll get a $25 gift card to Cafe Intermezzo if you donate in the next few minutes. The offer disappears after that. So please go to wabe.org slash donate right now. wabe.org slash donate. You can also Call 678 553 Thank you very much. The Atlanta-based poet and Emory University professor Jericho Brown won the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for his collection of poems, The Tradition. Brown's work explores themes of blackness, trauma, violence, queerness, and memory. When we last spoke, I asked Jericho Brown about his chosen name. I grew up Nelson Demery
0: III, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard enough to be a junior in this world. Can you imagine being a third?
2: Well, it sounds so regal. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I, there were a lot of um, expectations, I think, set upon me uh, with that name that came from the outside world. Uh, and I always felt like I was sharing a name with two other people. And so when my, my poems started coming out in print, I wanted a name for those poems that was only for those poems.
2: And Jericho uh, connotes such strength.
0: Good, I like that. I like a little bit of strength in my life, so I'm glad.
2: Would you talk about the multi layered meaning of fatherhood in your poetry? Well, I mean, there are many
0: ways to think about the word father in and of itself. Um, of course, when you say father, you're thinking about your dad, right? Uh, But then you might also be thinking about fatherland Right. If you think about father, that might be one way to think about uh, black people's relationships to the United States of America. And in the in the diaspora, black people's relationship to anywhere that is in Africa that black people are living. Right. Sort of a a colonial relationship. If we think of motherland as as Africa or West Africa or countries in West Africa, then the fatherland would be those uh, those nations that that kidnapped people or that somehow uh, went to those those nations in Africa and took them over. Right. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, there's the father that we say when we're thinking about God. And one of the things that I do over and over again in my poem is I mix those three fathers because I'm thinking about that dedication. And yet that rebellion mm-hmm. uh, that we all feel for any father that we have, uh, you know, there comes a point in which you have to grow up. And you have to take a stand. And I think that's how um, the word father works in so many of my poems. Uh, My poems are often poems of prayer, poems about prayer, and poems as prayer. And I think thinking about God as the father is one of the ways that that's seen in my poems.
2: Let's turn from fatherhood to motherhood. Yeah. I was stunned by the power of four day in the morning. Yeah. Would you read it?
0: Yeah, I'll read it for you. Four day in the morning. My mother grew morning glories that spilled onto the walkway toward her porch because she was a woman with a land who showed as much by giving it color. She told me I could have whatever I worked for. That means she was an American. But she'd say it was because she believed in God. I am ashamed of America and confounded by God. I thank God for my citizenship in spite of the timer set on my life to write these words. I love my mother. I love black women who plant flowers as sheepish as their sons. By the time the blooms unfurl themselves for a few hours of light, the women who tend them are already at work. Blue, I'll never know who started the lie that we are lazy but I'd love to wake that bastard up at four in the morning, toss him in a truck, and drive him under God past every bus stop in America to see all those black folk waiting to go work for whatever they want. A house, a boy to keep the lawn cut, some color in the yard. My God, we leave things green. It's gorgeous. Thank you so much.
2: And and it's rife with metaphor yeah, but thank you. the the metaphor of women as flowers yeah and also adding color yeah. and yeah. oh it's just gorgeous yeah. I was
0: really um there are a lot of poems in this book uh, that are about my mother and I was I'm actually quite proud that I finally got her right in a book you know um uh, she appears in this book over and over again uh powerful and melancholy and joyous and i really feel like i finally caught all of the colors that are within the woman i think of as my mother and i'm i'm really i'm really proud of that in this book yeah
2: fantastic
0: this particular poem was um in time magazine it was the first time they published poems probably in something like uh i would say 60 or 70 years maybe more than that actually um and I, I got all excited because I finally had a poem in a magazine that I could send to my mama <laughs> oh,
2: So much no. for those esoteric literary yeah. journals yeah, 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 yeah. which you've done you, you've done pretty well with those too. yeah Jericho, you've said that you think of writing first as a process of listening to some series of sounds that enter your mind and second as a process of embodying those sounds, mm-hmm. what's the role of voice and music in mm-hmm. your poetry?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, I think uh, poetry is best made when it begins in listening. We like to think about, I mean, again, I'm talking about prayer. Often we like to think about prayer as talking or asking for something. But when I think of prayer, I think of uh, a, a, an opportunity to listen to uh, some higher self, to hear um, these voices I think or or a voice that I think can be heard by us when we are made steel and and if I'm still and I allow language to come to me and I deal with language for its beauty for its for what it what it sounds like as material you know often when you think of language you think of something that you can touch different words have different literal material feeling attached to them and um, just to say the love, hate the word hate, and just to say the word love, you end up in two different frequencies. Just hearing the words, you know, um, so that's part of what I mean when I when I say that um, I'm listening and I'm paying attention to where the words lead me. And sometimes the word leads lead to sound. I mean, if you're working with rhyme in particular, you will end up saying a word because it rhymes with another word. And because you choose that word, you have to figure out what your subconscious is saying, right? What do you really mean? Why did you choose that particular word? And you have to believe that it's not just because of how it sounds. It's because there's something telling you something, and that's how my poems are written.
2: Jericho Brown is a professor and head of creative writing, At Emory University in Atlanta, he won the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for his collection of poems, The Tradition. Perhaps you heard Jericho Brown on City Lights before he won the Pulitzer. If you appreciate the interviews we have with artists, and creative thinkers of many types, we hope you will donate to WABE by calling 678-553-9090. That's 678-553-9090 or wabe.org donate. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily celebration of Atlanta arts and culture. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Our producers are Summer Evans and Ryan McFadden. Kevin Rinker is our engineer. And I'm Lois Wrights. I'd love it if you'd follow me on Twitter. At L O I S R E I T Z E S. You can also follow us on Facebook at WABE City Lights. Listen back to interviews and shows from the City Lights Archives at wabe.orgslash City Lights. Thanks for listening to member-supported 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR.